stand for our call to worship from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city new, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away.
Will you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this glorious day you've given us to come together and gather in your name, Lord. We thank you for um, the somewhat humid and warm weather, but it's just a nice reminder to know that you're using all of the elements to bring glory to your name, Lord. Um, so today we ask that you be with us, um, help us clear our minds and our hearts of all the distractions, all the things that cause us from seeing you, or not seeing you, rather. Um, just help us clear those things out of our out of our focus so that we can put our focus solely on you today as we worship you, Lord. We want to take a moment of silent prayer to just leave those things at the foot of your cross. So again, Lord, we just thank you for all the many blessings you pour out upon us. We do ask that you help us turn our attention towards you now as we uh, open up and worship to you. And most importantly, Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your son. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever revelations 5 13 
So if you haven't figured out, a lot of the songs that we're singing fit the theme of what uh, the subject is today, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And uh, what a great ending we will see one day. So I'm going to read from uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
Father, we thank you that we don't have to wait until that day, that we can join together right now, that you invite us to your throne room, where we can indeed say blessing and honor and glory and power unto your name. Thank you for the privilege of inviting us into your presence um, to worship you this morning. And we ask for a special blessing on um, Pastor Tom as he brings your word from this um, magnificent thing that you showed John. And we ask for a special blessing on our children too, whether they're at home working on their printables or if they're joining us today, we, uh, we ask that they would know your love a little deeper uh, for spending time with you today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. It's good to have you with us as we worship God together here today. Several things going on around here you ought to know about. First of all, if you are visiting with us or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill out this piece of paper and communicate with us. If you're watching online, uh, you can reach us through email, through our website, and send us a note as to how we can be in prayer for you. We would appreciate that. Also, uh, we have our kids printable, which follows along with our sermon series. So your kids... Uh, if you print this out at home, or if you pick one up in the back here in the building, you have four pages of coloring and word finds and crosswords, etc., that all relate to the themes out of the book of Revelation. Uh, there's no seven-headed dragon, but, you know, we have one, I think, somewhere else. I've got one that Graham Toms made one time. Um, but, uh, yeah. Great way to follow along, keep up, and uh, hope you can enjoy that. This is our last installment in the uh, Run Through the Bible sermon series, so that's our last of those inserts for that theme anyway. Um, then we have our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study, which is at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. You zoom in to our Zoom channel. And we will have two options for you this week. One will be sort of a big overview of the book of Revelation, and the other will be more of a drill down into one pr particular passage from that book. Then this week, starting this evening, is our Blueprint Youth Summer Missions Trip. We are doing this uh, as a um, sort of, what would you call that, uh, yeah, but it's, we're doing it. We're not staying in the dormitories down at Blueprint this year. They asked us to kind of free up some space. Uh, so there are uh, kids who are coming in from other towns and cities and places can have a place to stay and be more spread out. So we're coming in every morning from our respective homes, meeting at job sites and going from there. Um, and uh, so let's see. If you are bringing a meal, you should have gotten those details. Um, if you have not received information and you would like to, uh, contact Lois if you're bringing a lunch or you want to bring a lunch. Uh, she's got all those details and plans. Then, let's see, uh, two weeks, no, one week from today will be Father's Day, and we will have a Hope for Kids. We'll have a children's chat, and then we'll have a craft day that'll relate to the scriptures we're talking about. Um, well, 
I don't know what scriptures it'll relate to, but it'll be biblically based, but the kids will be out under our new canopy in the back, and uh, they'll have that learning time and activity time out there, and then you can pick them up after the service. But uh, that's Sunday, June 20th, and then we have a, on the first day, first Saturday of summer, we're having our spring clean and fling, because that's how we roll. And uh, so we've been in this building now for about three years, and we're going to be hosting Presbytery. That's a regional meeting of pastors and elders from all over the the Gulf South, from Texas all the way to um, Mobile or or just, well, Southern Alabama, I'm sorry, L.A. That's Loa, Alabama. (laughs) Yes. Um, But... uh, We'll be bringing in people from all over to host them for a regional meeting of our denomination. It's a lot of fun. Actually, it is. I enjoy it. But um, anyway, uh, that'll be in September. So we're going to kind of clean the place up a little bit. We're going to do some cleaning out and some organizing. We've got, uh, if you're an interior organizer type person, come on in. You can hit the closet with Allison Schmidt that's in my office where all of our hospitality items are. You can... You can, if you're brave or, or just insane, you can go to the library. We, have, we need someone to clean up the library. We have an actual librarian. I doubt she's going to go in there, but that's okay. Um, uh, she's too smart. Um, and uh, anyway, that's coming up June 26th. We'll be doing some stuff outside, some stuff inside, a little bit of touch-up here and there, some basic cleaning and preparation for getting our building looking nice for this coming meeting in September because we want them all to think that we know what we're doing and we have it all together. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't have much choice there, so okay. Um, But that's coming up Saturday, June 26th. If you can be here, that would be great. We will serve lunch afterwards, so that should be fun as well, and uh, all right. So before we, before we get to uh, the sermon, I'll, I'll pray in just a moment. Um, I have, you ever been, you ever like, remember those things called newspapers? You remember those? And they had like a front page, and then when you get to like page three, there's this little box that says, you know, correction, we misstated something on our front page article that totally defamed and ruined the life of whoever it's about, but there's this tiny little box on the third page, we're sorry, we, we said it wrong, whatever, you know, that wasn't accurate. Well, I've got one of those, right? So about, I don't know, three Sundays ago, I was talking about the Colossians, which sadly, their little town is in um, kind of central Turkey, and... Uh, on the European side, if I recall correctly, and they're landlocked. And I said that the Apostle Paul went sailing in to Colossus underneath the legs of the idol Colossus, which was in Rhodes and collapsed in like 279 B.C., like a solid 300 years before Paul could have been there. Paul did go to Rhodes, And the people of Rhodes were occasionally called Colossians because, but only when Colossus was standing over the port entry to their city, 
Um, I was totally wrong, like, don't even know what kind of historical mental lapse I had, but just in case you didn't think your pastor could be completely and incredibly wrong, I was. I do like to admit it when I'm wrong. I hope my wife's not in here. Um, okay, I think she's, she can hear me. And I've heard the voice of God. My problem is it sounds exactly like my wife's voice. So, um, all right, so I'm sorry. I will, I will be a little more, a lot more careful, I hope, in the future when making references to especially things that were like part of the seven wonders of the world. And I should know that that was not in landlocked Turkey. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I will do better. So, is that God calling? Is he... <laughs> All right, um, let's pray. That would be good. Father God, we, we thank you that even when we are incredibly wrong, you are incredibly right and good and holy and true. And we rest in the knowledge that you have claimed us as your children. And we are secure there regardless of where our sins and other decisions take us. And so, Lord, we leave at the foot of your cross this morning the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and failures, and we thank you for the mercy and grace that are ours through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick, who are recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. We lift especially to you this morning, Yolanda Clifton, once again, and we just pray your healing mercies over her headaches. And Lord, we lift up this country at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray your blessing and your wisdom over those who serve in whatever capacity they, they do. And we lift up our men and women in uniform, who are all over the world. We pray you would watch over them and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those military families that are separated from one another as a result of their duty, and we pray your peace and protection and strength over them uh, on the war fronts and on the home fronts. And we pray, Father, for those who have returned home from their service changed. We ask that you would use us to shine your light, your love, your grace, and your healing mercies upon them uh, as they recover and rest are restored to civilian life. We just pray that we would be a part of your plan in ministering your grace to those hearts. And Lord, we uh, lift up your church this morning here at Hope and around the world. We pray that your word would go forth through your people today and that it would not return to you empty. We pray for those churches with whom we are connected through our denomination and through our missions giving. We pray for Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala as Paul has become the president of uh, the Seteca Seminary in Guatemala City. We just pray your blessing over their ministry in that place. We lift up John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas and 
Pastor Miguel and his wife Tatiana at our sister church in Kamahuani, Cuba. We pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit there and bless that work of your will and word. We lift up Pachi Quesada and his wife Marilyn in Havana, Cuba. We lift up um, Robbie and Joyce Hamd who continue to serve you in Beirut, Lebanon. We lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they serve you in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessing over all those works that we are connected to. We lift up the church plants in Texas that we are connected to in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin. And we just pray your blessing over those works. We pray you would be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, this morning, we just, we're just going to cover the book of Revelation. That's it. That's all we're going to do. Just keep it simple. And um, so, uh, man, this book has created tons of confusion throughout the centuries, um, in part because of the, of the style in which it is written. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but let's give a little bit of background. So we think the author was the Apostle John. He calls himself John, so we know that the author of Revelation is a guy named John. We think he's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the three letters of John in the New Testament, but he might not be. And one of the reasons we have to say that is because... Um, the, the language in this book is holistically different than the rest of the language that, that John uses in other writings. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily not John. It doesn't mean that it necessarily is John. And here's the bottom line. Regardless of who wrote it, it's in our Bible. It was inspired by the, word of, by the Spirit of God. It is the Word of God. And we are to take it to heart and put it into practice. And we'll talk about that as well. You'll see when we read some of these excerpts from the book of Revelation that there is a deep concern on the author's part that we act on what we know, that we be people who not just hear the word of God, but people who put God's word into real time in real life in practical ways. So <clears throat> we are looking at a highly image-driven piece of literature, and that's really important. Um, I, was, uh, I, did a, I did a wedding for a couple who were both in their 70s one time, and they were both, one was a widower, the other was a widow, and it was a, it was a beautiful ceremony, and uh, the husband invited me over to their home a couple weeks later for a cocktail party, like people of that stage of life have cocktail parties, and they had, had martinis, and it was wonderful. It was, it was just weird for me, but anyway, um, so I'm standing in this, in this man's house, and he dings on his glass, and he says, I have a question for you, pastor. So there's probably 25 people in the room, and he says, are we supposed to take the Bible literally? which is a terrible question to ask a guy with a martini in his hand. You know, it's just like, why would you do that? And I was very young at the time, and uh, 
So I started by saying, what I wanted to say was no, not necessarily, but before I could get anything other than no out of my mouth, he goes, aha, I told you, and he points to one of his friends who's sitting in the living room, I told you it's not supposed to be taken literally, and he takes the conversation back over, and I just sit there feeling like a complete, I don't know, what do you call that, a lummox? Uh, Somebody who's just like said something that he didn't mean to say, but he already said it, and he can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Here's what I should have said. I should have said, we are to take the Bible seriously, always. First and foremost, we're to take it seriously. When you're looking at a book that is almost entirely image-driven, literal may not be your best choice in, in how to understand, and we'll talk about some of that as we go through this, but we have to take it seriously. And there's parts of this book that we have to just look at and go, I don't know. I can't even take a good educated guess as to what this means or represents or is talking about. But I have to take it seriously. And so when we look in these excerpts that we're about to go through, I'm going to start in the beginning of the Gospel of John. I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation written by John, who was on the island of Patmos. And he is writing to specifically, and he says this in his first chapter, he's writing specifically to seven churches in Asia Minor. This is the, the half of Turkey that's in, on the Asian continent. And he is writing to them by name. He names the seven churches. Now, I told you this book is heavily image-driven so anytime a Hebrew author uses the number seven, your first assumption should not be that he means the literal number seven, that, he, that there's this much bigger metaphorical seven that he or she has in mind. And so as we read this, you have to keep in view that the number seven is, is the God number, right? This, on the seventh day, he rested. God's cycle of days was seven days. Seven is the God number. And so seven means completion, rest, the totality of something. And so when John is writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, he's actually not excluding any other churches from what he's doing. These are probably churches that he had a part in either planting or pastoring. He knows them very well. And he's writing this book to them. At the same time, John is caught up into heaven and given a vision of things to come. And, well, we'll just, let's get into it, all right? So here's the most important thing that you can keep in mind when you're reading the book of Revelation. And that is that this is the point in the Bible where God demonstrates that his promise that we have now traced through every book of the Bible in this series, that one promise, that singular promise of grace to a fallen people is not only fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but it will ultimately prevail in our lives and in God's universe as the defining truth of all history. So that promise was given to Adam and Eve after they sinned, and we can follow it all the way through the Bible and then hear We see that that promise prevails and triumphs over death and sin and darkness into the eternal glory of God in 
what the Bible calls the New Jerusalem. We often refer to that as heaven, which is a little bit of a short sale of what it actually is, but we'll talk about that later. <clears throat> so this is the book where we see that God's promise prevails. The first thing that John wants you to do as you're reading this part of God's word is to lean into what is yours in Christ. You have been given a gift by virtue of the sacrifice of the Son of God. There is strength there. There is life there. There is light and love and grace and truth. Lean into that. This is what can redefine who you are and how you live. So the first call, of, if we're going to lean into what is ours in Christ, we have to live out God's word. All right? So, kind of interesting, John tells you exactly what he's doing in the first three verses of his work. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Three verses, and John has told you quite a bit. He's told you who the author is, where the author's authority comes from, that is, revelation from Jesus Christ, and what we are to do with this book. He's, he's actually identified the type, the genre of work that he's writing. It is prophecy. He calls it that in verse uh, 3. And he tells us that if we listen and obey this portion of God's word, there will be blessing. Let me be very clear, that doesn't mean you're going to be rich if you figure out the code to the book of Revelation. The blessing is in knowing God more deeply and serving him more fully. And so John is being very simple, very clear. Prophecy is a very old word, and it basically is always, it, it works the same way. It's, it's God speaking through someone to his people and asking them to change. Prophecy is always aimed at changing who we are and how we live. That's, and so when John says, blessed are those who hear this prophecy, we have to be putting ourselves in the posture of change, of wanting God to grow us and change us more and more into the men and women of God that he created us to be. So <clears throat> this tells us, John tells us early in his work, what it is, who it's written to, what he wants from us in reading it and keeping it, um, and tells us there's blessing in these words. That's good, because if he didn't, I might just ignore them, because some of this stuff is downright bizarre. Let's keep pressing forward. We're going to jump a little bit further in chapter 1. Again, at this beginning 
place, we're called to lean into what is ours in Christ. And so we do that by living out God's word, by reading and hearing and keeping what is written in it. And we do this, we lean into what is ours in Christ by trusting the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. So John 1, 17 through 19. When I saw him, now John has is, John is just told us that he's been caught up into heaven and he's been given this vision and now before him appears Jesus. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he, ra- he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. <clears throat> um, dang. Right? So John, John sees Jesus himself. He falls down. Jesus takes his right hand, raises him up, and says... I'm the one, I'm the one who was, I'm the one who is, and I'm the one who always will be. I want you to write about what was, what you've seen, that's in the past tense, of what you see now and what is to come. And this is a sort of a cosmic stopping point in the Bible when we realize that God does not experience time the way we do. He created time when he created the universe. He exists outside of time. Um, This is mind-blowing to try and comprehend, but John has now found himself face-to-face with the one who was, the one who is now, and the one who always and forever shall be. And... This is the nature of what John is doing. He's writing about things past, present, and future. I would refer you back to um, the verses 1 through 3, where he he says, I'm writing about things that are soon to happen. And he also says, the time is near at the end of verse 3. That's a very important aspect of of reading the book of Revelation properly. And we'll talk about that further in a little while. But just capture that phrase for now, the time is near, and you'll see how John sort of wraps around at the end of his work and ties it all together with that very thought. All right, so we are to lean into what is ours, which is the gift of God's grace through the one who was, who is, and forever will be. And we are to know Who shall prevail in the battle between good and evil? And so in the second, well, in the first portion of God's word, of of the book of Revelation, excuse me, John introduces himself, he, he starts talking to the seven churches, and then he basically is talking directly to these seven churches, and we'll we'll just take an excerpt from uh, chapter three verse 19, but first we'll just say 
that if we are to know who is to prevail in this world in the battle between good and evil, we must be those who yield to God's love. That is, those who are able, well, I'll read it first. Starting Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is Jesus speaking again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. If I can pause here, you can see the very nature of prophecy at work in these words. Prophecy is always aimed at changing us. There is always a conditionality to it that if you hear this and you put it into practice, then you will change and grow and be blessed. You will find blessing in knowing God more fully. So, sorry, Revelation 3, starting again in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be jealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as John is talking to these specific seven churches, because he's speaking to seven of them, he's speaking to all of us, okay? And this is the beginning of understanding of the prophecy that we are being called to invite Jesus into our hearts. How does this passage begin? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Jesus is just like a father or a mother who has a child they love, and when that child gets out of line, they don't let them get away with it. They call them on the carpet, they correct, they reprove, they're trying to shape that child into a man or woman of God as God wants them to be. And so it's hard work. It requires discipline and engagement. And so Jesus is saying he loves us and he has a similar relationship to us. That is that he wants to grow us in love into the men and women of God that he's created us to be. We're to yield to his love, knowing that we're not perfect, but his grace is sufficient. And as we yield to his love, it helps us learn that God is trustworthy, that he is reliable, that he will prevail, not only in our lives, but in all of redemptive history. And then learning to yield to his love we also need to claim his victory. The book of Revelation, I'm, I'm skipping over vast, complicated sections of this book. Let me just give you a quick summary of what's happening. John finishes writing specifically to the seven churches, which is also very specific to us. Uh, when you read these first few chapters, when he's writing specifically to these seven churches, if you cannot find yourself in one of those churches, you're not reading. <laughs> you're just skimming, right? He's, he's talking in a way that is universally true, but he's doing it in specific references to specific 
places and groups of people. And yet, it's all relevant to us at different stages of our life. And the good news is, it's not all bad. Some of the churches are praised for, for example, for being students of the word. Uh, Other churches are rebuked for being lukewarm, for example. Um, And so you read these and you, you look for yourself and you can see God affirming aspects of your life and you can see God reproving and correcting aspects of your life. Then John moves into this scene, and this is about chapter 5, where he's in the throne room of God, and God is holding a scroll with seven seals on it. And there is much debate, discussion, and disagreement over what this scroll means, right? I'm going to just, I'm going out on a limb here. This is not biblical fact. This is your pastor's own perspective on this scroll the scroll in God's hand is his scroll of final judgment and he holds it out and there's no one in the room who can take it like everyone is silent and John is in heaven and all the the praise that is continually offered to God around him in his throne room stops and John has this feeling of dread He's like, oh, dude, there's nobody here. There's no one who can handle what's in that scroll. And then you have this, this pattern that you're going to see throughout the book where there's, there's what John hears, which is in this case silence, and then someone tells him, hey, there is one who is worthy. And he turns, and he's expecting, like, Atlas or Hercules or somebody, right? What? Hercules, all right? He's expecting something like that, and he turns, and what he sees is a lamb with its throat cut, and there's blood all over it. Ew, right? But it's that lamb who is, in fact, worthy to go forward and take the scroll from the hand of God. And he's like, all your judgment and wrath against sin, I got this, right? So it's, you know, it's this lamb who is the eternal Chuck Norris of heaven. He's just like, I got this, and steps right into the scroll of God's wrath and judgment. No flinching, no hesitation, this is what I'm here for. And so, up steps Jesus, and then as those seals are broken, literally, I don't mean this uh, in, a, in a flippant way, but all of hell breaks loose, and seals are broken, and plagues are poured out, and famine, and death, and war, and several years ago, we did a series similar to this, and we had a small group at my house that would meet every week, and we'd, we'd touch on various points, and we'd have people read in advance um, the Bible we were, the part of the Bible we were studying. We got to the book of Revelation. We're sitting around my dining room table. My probably 10-year-old daughter, Annie, has read through as much of Revelation as she could handle at that stage of life. And we sit down to open the discussion. She raises her hand. I'm like, yes, ma'am. She goes, this book is really violent. And 
I was very proud, like she read it and she understood it, right? And it just so happened on that particular evening, Craig Russell, if you, if you know Craig, he's a Navy submarine vet who's built like a little Hercules, right? He's just a hunk of a man. I don't mean that in a weird way, but he's just, he's just this hunk of muscle, right? Muscle Russell. And he's sitting at the table, and Annie says, it's so violent. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, a great Hope Church moment. Craig Russell kind of straightens up in his chair. And he goes, it is, and I'm ready. <clears throat> and Annie's like, what? And he goes, Annie, it's the battle between good and evil, and I'm ready. And I want you to know I'm ready. Her little 10-year-old girl heart was actually comforted by those words, by his response, by his faith in knowing who shall prevail. And if you get bogged down in the middle of the book of Revelation, skip to the end. Like go to chapter 19, 20, 21, etc. That's where you're reminded that God will prevail in this life, and in all of eternity. And this idea that we are engrossed in the battle between good and evil. So I, I have a particular view of the book of Revelation that goes kind of like this. I don't think it's chronological. I don't think that the seals and the trumpets and the... Um, the angels, the plagues, etc., are chronological. I think what's happening is you're looking at a single scroll that covers all of human history, and as sin and judgment are expressed, these are the things, these are the fruits of sin and rebellion. And so all of those fruits are coming out as these seals are broken. You're seeing famine, uh, injustice, hatred, evil, disease, all of it is just popping out at every, the breaking of every seal. And then there's seven trumpets that blow, and there's more of the same. And uh, you got to love the four riders of the apocalypse. If you haven't read this stuff, it's just stunningly powerful. And I, I, I think, and again, this is the, we're talking about the book of Revelation. It's highly image-driven. It's, highly, it's difficult to nail down, but I think what's going on is those writers are writing throughout the earth all the time. And you can find anywhere on this planet at any given time all of the truths that are being spelled out in the breaking of these seals of God's scroll of judgment and wrath happening. You can also see at the same time what this book calls the millennial reign of Christ, that because of what Jesus has done for his church, we are free. We are forgiven, and we are part of this battle between good and evil, but ultimately we are already prevailing with Christ, seated with him at the right hand of God the Father right now. 
So right now, his church is reigning on earth. It's growing. It's spreading. His grace is moving. His, his word is going forth and not returning to him empty. And at the same time, all of hell is breaking loose in this world. And you don't need me to spell that out for you over these past couple of years, right? It's bad. It's, it's, it's real. And you can open this book and find in any moment of human history at least one of these seven seals and its outpouring going on currently. And I, I believe what John was doing was he was writing to these seven churches, which is all the churches, and he was saying, you need to be ready. You need to be Craig Russell. You need to know that we're going to win this thing, but all of this is going to break out in the meantime, and at different points and different places on this planet, all of this will be happening simultaneously. But don't give up. Keep reading, because it gets better. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to look at some passages that help us to claim the victory that Christ is winning for us in the battle between good and evil. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So that's who you are. You are called and chosen and faithful, and you are seated, seated with the one who will conquer because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. This is all written to give you a sense of strength and confidence in your faith, in the face of the battle between good and evil. So let's move similar theme, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, and I'll just tell you ahead of time, this is it. This right here is the climax of all history. It hasn't happened yet. This is it. There is no greater moment coming than this one. Are you ready? Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That means crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. <laughs> he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come, Lord Jesus. Dude. Do you remember the last time he was on a beast of burden? Do you remember this? He came riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. Now, I did a wedding a couple weekends ago, and they had a beer donkey. So they had, this donkey had like a saddle that had a cooler on each side, and you could walk over. And this thing, if I sat, I could straddle this thing. So it's called a Bethlehem donkey. It's tiny, right? Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a baby beer donkey. He's riding on a, a, a yearling little donkey, looks like a fool. And I think it's all part of his weird sense of humor, personally, the Palm Sunday thing I'm talking about. <clears throat> because he knows. He knows. At one point, that donkey is going to be the mightiest white war horse the human eye has ever seen. And it's going to be carrying the very person of Christ, the word of God, the living truth of God in flesh. When he comes to reckon with all sin and conquer death and give us victory, this is it. This is the point. And so, Whatever you read about the seven-headed beast and the whore of Babylon and the, um, you know, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the plagues, the seven plagues, etc., don't miss this. This is it. This is your Jesus coming in to reckon with all sin and to conquer death. We are to be those who lean into what is ours in Christ, and who know who shall prevail in the battle between good and evil. And we are to look to our eternal hope in Christ. That means we are to live confidently. Revelation 21, 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. <clears throat> you need to know something. God is love. You are the object of his grace, his sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. 
You are forgiven. You are seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father. You have nothing to worry about. You and I have only to seek God's will, to seek his kingdom to be realized here on earth as it is in heaven. We are freed through Christ from the burdens of sin and death. Your head is to be lifted. Your heart is to be secure. You can live confidently in the knowledge of knowing to whom you belong. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So, after the service is over, if you're here in the building, stop in front of that painting back there and just ponder and reflect on what you see. It is one insane artist's interpretation of the new Jerusalem from the inside. You will see the river of the water of life. You will see the tree of life giving its fruit in season. You will see the entrance to the eternal logos, that is the library of the knowledge, the word of God. You will see the eternal rebirth of Christ depicted in a small nativity scene in the right-hand part of the triptych. You will see uh, (laughs) a a bare-chested Jamaican woman descending a stairwell, and there is nothing but life and nourishment and joy coming from her person. She is the symbol of eternal joy descending into the heart of the city of God. You will see the symbolism of eternal regeneration of life, light, and love. You will see, if you look closely, you will see the number pi, which is the eternal number. We don't know where it ends. Um, It's all an attempt to describe what you read in these last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. This place of eternal renewal and life where we will dwell with God forever. And here's the little secret. If you're reading the description of the new Jerusalem, that has come down from heaven to the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth, and you're looking at all the stones out of which it is built, you need to go back to the book of 1 Peter and remember one simple truth. You are one of those stones. You comprise the city of God. His city, his architecture is human souls. You are part of the very fabric and being of the eternal dwelling place of God. You and I will be part of this family forever. And let me take us very close to the end of the book, 
We are to live confidently, and we are to live expectantly. Revelation 22, verses 20 through 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This idea, and I think I think this is really where Paul is going. I'm sorry, John was going with this with this book, the way that he wrote it to the seven churches, but simultaneously to all of us. We should live like we want Jesus to come back now, and we should also keep in mind that every Christian throughout all time is supposed to live that way. So if the early Christians who read this thought Jesus was coming back soon, they were right. They were reading it correctly. If we read it and we feel like God is coming back soon, and I I think many of us might have actually prayed that in the past year or so, um, we're right. We're reading it correctly. We should live expectantly. We should want Jesus to come and fulfill all of his word at, at the end of time and consummate his relationship with his church and bring us into his eternal presence forever. That will be a great day. At the same time, when literally all of hell is breaking loose in front of us, we must live confidently, knowing the one who will prevail, who has prevailed, who shall prevail, the one who has prevailed, is prevailing, and shall eternally prevail. That's our Jesus. And that is exactly the picture of him that John wants to leave you with. He is the one who always has been, who is now, and who always shall be. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, our, our minds are not really capable of fully understanding everything you're trying to say to us. So help us, Lord, when we read your word in places like this to keep it simple, to remember who has history in his hands, who has eternal grace and forgiveness in the nail prints of his hands who has chosen us and called us and claimed us to be his forever. That we would live in this world expectantly and confidently and in a way that we are willing to do for others what you have done for us. Lord, remind us when chaos is reigning that there is one who we are seated with who is the eternal Lord of lords and King of kings. Help us to rest in his presence and his truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Shadows deepen.
You guys sound amazing today. Good job. Good job. My name is Rusty Tungit. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Church. Um, thank you for being with us today. Tom, what an accomplishment. The entire counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. Thank you. And um, what a difficult book. <laughs> we could spend ages digesting or trying to digest Revelation, but your point is well taken. Um, in the end, we are victorious, and that is just awesome. But let me, I jumped in my script, sorry. This is our time of offertory. Here at Hope, we believe that you giving financially is a private matter between you and God. We don't pass a plate here. We've got a bucket in the back if you'd like to contribute or you can contribute um, online. We even have a QR code on the very back of our bulletin, so please help us keep the lights on. That's an important part of our giving, but we also want to continue to think about the other ways, our time, our talent, as well as our treasure in the way that we offer ourselves to God. So we use this time to think about the message and how we can apply that to our lives. And the end of this book, it takes us full circle and it shows us that this one promise, God knew he was going to fulfill it all along, that we are victorious. And so I would like for each one of us to live that way. Life is so frustrating, it's so hard let us be defined not by the troubles that we face, but by Jesus' ultimate victory over sin. So would you pray with me? Um, we're going to take a second. The music is going to play. I want you to have a conversation with God, and then I'll co close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You are perfectly faithful when we are faithless. You are perfectly righteous, and you make us righteous by the blood of your Son, who you sent to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I just pray that as we go out into the world this week, that we would live victoriously and confidently, not because of who we are, but because of you and you and who you have made us to be let us love you more each and every day in jesus name i pray amen we're going to finish with one more song and um this is because of you this was when we, we'd never heard this song before we came to hope church but i think at the end of that victory in the marriage of the lamb there's going to be a really fun party. Heaven is not going to be a boring place. And I have visions of this um, heavenly party. So will you stand and let's get to the victory part and then the wedding feast um, as we sing about him. Where the streets shine with the glory of the Lamb. 
and amen. If you are going on the blueprint trip in any capacity, will you come forward and stand behind me while I give God's blessing today? I'll even count it if you're bringing lunch. You can come forward and stand. Or ice cream. Especially ice cream. I want to bless that. Come on. So will you pray for these and the others who will be serving in Blueprint this week? Uh, we will need your prayers. Um, just like in my case, just not puncturing myself with a power tool would be a good prayer. I think good start, yeah. Um, but this week, these and others will be serving in urban San Antonio, uh, fixing up homes and sharing the love of Christ with others. So please keep them in your prayers throughout this week, and then we will we'll be back next week and kind of share some of what God was doing uh, on this trip with you then. But for now, will each of you take with you from this place God's blessing, and each of you as well, as we go forth into the week ahead. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May you go in his peace. All right.